Managing Marketing, um, a weekly podcast where we discuss the issues and opportunities facing marketing, media and advertising with industry thought leaders and practitioners. And today I'm sitting down with Matt Holtham, um, who is currently CMO at Glow, uh, which is described on on your website, Matt, as um, best-in-class online research platform that enables better decision-making fast with direct access to over 100 million consumers and 6 million businesses worldwide which is an impressive way to start. Um, welcome, Matt, and thanks very much for joining me. Thank you. Uh, lovely to be here. Um, and uh, thanks for making the time. You're welcome. Um, let's start by talking about Glow. Um, it's something that I can see is gaining traction in Australia, um, both just by researching you and by talking to you. Um, and my brief intro there didn't even scratch the surface. So could you just describe the proposition and purpose of, of Glow for anyone not yet aware? Sure. So um, we're a research technology business. So I think as, as you uh, read on the website, we kind of make it easier, faster and more affordable for businesses of all sizes to conduct market research so they can make um, better business decisions. So that means everything from um, figuring out whether there is an opportunity by sizing up a new market or doing concept testing before you launch a product through to things like brand tracking or understanding shopper behavior or assessing advertising effectiveness or even helping agencies figure out who the audiences are for new business pitches. All of those things are use cases for Glow. So it's got quite a span of uses and as a result of that, um, it's used by a range of different companies. So we have management consultants like PwC and Bain who use us, consumer goods companies like Reckitt, um, ad agencies like Leo Burnett, or Atomic 212, uh, or the Havas Group, um, and then market research agencies themselves use us as the software platform that, that powers their own services. So it's quite a span of um, capabilities, and for people who are more interested in the research space, it's kind of like uh, Google surveys or SurveyMonkey on steroids, a little bit more sophisticated, or a pared-back version of the 500-pound gorilla that is Qualtrics, if you're more familiar with the high-end enterprise side of things. Mm. So that's the business. It's been around for a while. It's a you know, it's a wonderful startup success story, been around seven years, probably found its product market fit two years ago, and has been growing really quickly um, ever since. Mm. And I think, uh, you know, again, from our conversations and, and from what I've read, um, there's a purpose behind this business. And, and we'll, we'll come and talk about that in a bit more, more detail um, in, a, in, a, in a few minutes' time. But before we do, just, to, just to, to talk about you a bit, because, you know, I mean, I, you know, I say a sneak look at your LinkedIn profile, but we know each other, we know each other fairly, fairly well. But, you know, a sneak look at your LinkedIn profile shows that, you, you know, you've had a long history in agencies. Agencies just came up there as part of your, you know, one of the prongs of, your, of, of Glow's um, business um, customers. Um, but Glow is clearly a different type of business. How have you found the transition? You know, why did you decide to join Glow, and, and what excites you about the challenge? Indeed, David, we have had the pleasure of working together. You know, for <laughs> a while at, at Havas, um, and uh, and dealing with you and your consultancy uh, guys over the years as well. So, yeah, I've uh, was was a, a long time agency guy over twenty years in agencies, um, running media and digital and, and integrated agencies in Australia and the UK and the US. Um, 
Loved it, you know, have had a, a wonderful time in the advertising environment. Um, but one of the things I've always really enjoyed as part of that has been working with a number of startups over the years because um, the value in that is really applying, a, you know, a broad range of skills to help them grow much more quickly. And um, uh, as many people have, I, I kind of left agency land in 2020. Um, and when I did that, I had decided I was going to go and do some consulting for a while um, and kind of reflect on what I wanted to, to do next. Um, and the thought was really to that I would probably carry on doing consulting and, and advisory work, which is what I've been doing for a while, um, and make that more of a, a next step. But um, as it turned out, uh, Glow needed some part-time help uh, in the marketing capacity because their marketing guy had left and I was already uh, on the advisory board for Glow at that point in time. I'd been um, you know, involved in the business for a year or so. That had happened because I was a customer using it at various agencies. So when I sat down with um, the Glow team and I was filling in for them, I ended up having some you know long conversations with Tim, who was the founder, about his global aspirations and what they were trying to achieve. And um, both the scale of what they hoped for was really interesting, but also the fact that they were launching this new product called Catalyst. And... Um, which we'll talk about undoubtedly in a minute. It's all about measuring social and environmental um, issues. And it was something that, uh, that that got me really excited because they were a, a research business uh, with a really strong sense of purpose, which is not something I'd seen before. Um, and they were really uh, focused on trying to develop these products to help businesses uh, do a little bit better uh, without being judgmental about where they're at, but to help them to think a little bit more uh, broadly than, than pure profit. And so um, I think the the kind of the product itself that Glow has is fabulous, and and you know the biggest challenge they've got is this that nobody's heard of it. So, mm. the it was a best kept secret kind of situation. So so the product was what got me interested, but I think it was the purpose that got me across the line. Well, let's let's talk about that. We mentioned I mentioned purpose. You mentioned but it's almost like you prepared for this interview. Right? <laughs> but uh, you know, I I think you know, ESGs are really interesting. I'm I'm really interested to focus on environmental, social and, and corporate governments. You know, it's a topic that's been around for a long time in various guises, but I think it's seen increased traction in, in more recent times. And you just mentioned Catalyst and, you know, as I understand it, and correct me where I'm wrong, you know, the, one of the focus, or the focus of Catalyst is understanding from a consumer perspective, the pressing issues, the cause and effect, who should take responsibility and, and what do they want to see from the businesses they support. And I know the research programs tend to be tailored to individual partners, but can you identify, can you talk about about that a bit more and identify any core trends or insight from the work that you've undertaken with, with various organisations? Yeah, sure. So um, I think you, you captured it well, but I guess taking a step back, it's a slightly different type of research because it's a um, what we call an open source research programme. So it basically means that members of the community who just sign up to subscribe to the research for free are able to submit their own questions about the, the issues that we're addressing as well. So everyone can contribute to um, the line of questioning and the content and the insights that we get. But we do have um, commercial partners who more, more actively get involved in helping to promote the program. But as you said, uh, it is a program that measures consumer perception of the social and environmental issues that we face today. So it works by tracking over 30 issues um, every single month. So it spans everything from 
COVID to homelessness to uh, gender equality or inequality from an issue perspective, uh, diversity and inclusion, climate change, packaging waste, uh, a range of things that are fundamental concerns that we have um, identified that the broader population has. And we look at how um, those issues and sentiment towards those issues is is tracking over time so that it's effectively providing a little bit of an anxiety um, monitor for the Australian public. Yeah. Um, and then critically, what we do is we dig into those issues month on month to understand how people are currently behaving, uh, what they expect of businesses to help to address some of those issues and and, and what kind of programs could help uh, consumers to change their behaviour to support overcoming those issues as well. So the, the reason that we've developed it is to try and help businesses who don't necessarily have an understanding of what consumers want them to do. So mm. a key part of it is to not only talk about what a what a the broad population worried about, but what is it that they expect businesses to do um, to help? Because that's really what it's all about, helping to influence ESG and CSR strategies at a business level so that they can make a difference. So um, it's been going for about six months. We've captured well over 15,000 responses from um, a range of uh, nationally representative consumer panel over the course of that time. And uh, I guess we've dug into so many issues, it's quite hard to distill it down uh, for a session like today. But there is a wealth of data there for anyone who's interested. They can simply reach out to me or um, catalyst at glowfeed.com and we'll, we'll share some of that data with you. But um, I think some of the things that are important to businesses that we've seen uh, really being elevated uh, over the last six months are things like cost of living, affordability of housing, mental well-being, things that have some um, knock-on effects from COVID, but there are also things that businesses can, if they think a little bit more broadly about their remit, start to play a role in impacting. Um, and then we've got you know, things like climate change as well, which is obviously a fundamental uh, issue. Um, I think one of the areas that has been most useful, and maybe this is where I can be a little bit more specific, is that when you start to look at the issues that consumers expect businesses to address, there's some very uh, significant differences depending on what type of business you are. So if you're an FMCG brand, for example, um, there's a very strong expectation from the public that you should be doing your bit to address plastic and packaging waste and you know, ethical sourcing in your pipeline. If you are um, an airline, you're expected to really lean into supporting uh, carbon offsetting and climate change solutions and air pollution. If you are um, social media, you need to be doing a hell of a lot more than you are to stem the spread of misinformation and to support mental well-being. And, and so there's some really strong direction from consumers that's saying, I will spend more money with the type of businesses who lean in and help with some of these issues. And I think that's really what we're trying to do is to help shine a light on the expectations that consumers have so that businesses can be a little bit more informed when they're building their strategies to make sure that they are reflective of what their customers really want as well as what their own internal um, machinations would suggest are important. So um, that that's the I guess the program um, at a at a high level, and one of the things that I did just want to say today, because we're really excited about it, is that we're about to launch um, a new product that's come out of this research, which has emerged from uh, all the conversations we've been having with businesses uh, about Catalyst, where they've said, this is great, and you're giving me some good broad direction about what I should do um, as a business in a certain industry, but can you tell me what consumers actually think of of my performance as a brand and as a company, and you know, am I doing okay? Uh, and if I if I'm not, 
where should I focus? And if I am, how do I, you know, make, make most, make the most of that. And, um, so we've created something which is an ES, an ESG brand tracker. Um, and it uses a metric called social responsibility score, which we've created, um, that enables brands to get a single score metric of how well they're doing that they can compare across industries and across time and across competitors. So they have a really clear sense of how well consumers think they're doing. Um, or, or how badly they think they're doing. And either obviously stimulates uh, some action. So it's kind of like a net promoter score for the ESG space. And it's something that we think is pretty unique. We've spent a lot of time in the last 12 months uh, benchmarking it and validating it against all sorts of uh, measures of brand health and, and revenue growth. Um, and we're about to put that into the market now in the next month or so. So we think that's going to be the next level kind of support for businesses who are trying to do a little bit better in this space. I was going to ask you about the reaction of your customers of these businesses to some of the home trees that you're giving them. But I think, I mean, having just listened to you there, I need to wait another six months or whenever, whenever they, because you, by really zeroing, I mean, you just described it, you, you're really now zeroing in on individual um, individual businesses for those that, that want this kind of um, uh, light shone on, the, on their SRS performance. Yeah. Do you, do you think they're going to be some hard trees that they're going to have to... Um, or any surprises they're going to have to, to um, swallow or, or, or take on board? I think there are going to be some hard truths for, for many brands, but the reality is uh, you know, any listed company and any, any large corporate or any business with a sense of responsibility is already developing its ESG approach. Um, and this is just um, another important way to measure whether or not that is having the impact you desire. So I think some businesses may want to bury their head in the sand and just, you know, commit to an ESG framework. But if they're not measuring its impact, then they are missing the opportunity to take advantage of it. And I think what this does is it, you know, it sets a baseline. And the beauty is no matter where you are, you can get better. And it's more than just your score. It's a diagnostic um, set of 13 drivers that enable you to understand where you're actually doing well or where you can improve. And it's all relative to uh, consumer expectations set at an industry level and then comparable against your competitors. Because the, the reality is no matter whether or not you think you're doing well, if your competitor is perceived as much better, then they're the one who's uh, you know, going to get the money at, at point of purchase. And, and that's what we've seen through the analysis that we've been doing is that the kind of switching behavior that's already occurring is very much driven by the rising tide of consumer expectation about what's acceptable practice, but also how they perceive you relative to the competitive set. I, th I mean, hard truths can be good truths, obviously, and, and that's where the insight is. And I think it's really encouraging that I'm not sure if it was the genesis of, of, of this of this new launch, but you've had your you've had businesses coming back to you and literally asking for it, essentially, is what you said. So I mean, that's that's a really I think mean, it's a really positive sign generally. They, yeah. they want to hear, right? They want to hear the, the good, the bad, and the ugly, and they want to hear, uh, they want to really drill, drill down. So it's such an important issue. Um, I, I think you're absolutely right. And I think, you know, the, the case study that I can kind of talk about publicly already is that we've done a lot of work with uh, Mondelez over the course of the last couple of months, and we've been measuring uh, Cadbury against its competitors. And, you know, they're in a fortunate position in that consumers think they're doing a pretty good job. So I think that's the exciting bit is that once you know where you're at, it's actually fairly easy to measure your progress and to at least sense check what you're already committed to uh, against its impact on, on where you're trying to go. And of course, that raises the attention of the rest of the C-suite, right? If you're, if you're essentially you're drawing a line to commercial results of whatever of whatever kind, whether it's just sales or, or whatever, um, 
that's that's incredibly valuable. Absolutely, and I think one of the things that's been really important is to prove that what we're measuring is not just a vanity metric. So yeah. we've done a lot of work to to show that it influences willingness to pay a premium, that it influences trust, and is is uh, related to net promoter score, and and importantly is aligned with um, with revenue growth as well. So we just did a, a large piece of analysis with over a, a trillion dollars worth of. Uh, U.S. home scan data through our partner Nielsen, and it and it showed that there's a significant relationship between uh, revenue growth and a social res- social responsibility score. So, the businesses that are growing most strongly um, tended to have a higher scores. Mm-hmm. So, there's there's some good early signals in our analysis. Obviously, it's not longitudinal yet, um, but early signals in our analysis that it is a really important business metric to have a handle on as well. Michael, that a win-win. Because it pushes this, it pushes ESG much further up the radar than it perhaps could have been. And like you say, it's not just vanity; it's not just doing the the right thing. It's it's actually driving or helping to drive a business. Yeah, and I think that's that's an absolutely critical point. We want this to be, you know, a benchmark that CEOs are looking at and saying, "Hey, what's our social responsibility score?" Yeah, yeah. And you know, how's that improving with our ESG strategy? And we want the marketing team to be um, using it as just another tracker of brand health and performance. Let's go a bit closer to this. Shift gears a little bit. We'll go a bit closer to home. Um, we've both had history in, in agencies. Um, let's talk a bit about um, uh, ESG and the agency industry. Um, over the last 12 to 18 months, I think there have been some announcements from the global players, and notably WPP, but not just WPP, about commitment to working with ethical organisations, about initiatives they've launched themselves, to, to, to get stronger from an ESG perspective and, and basically pledging to ditch clients operating in categories or with methods that don't comply. Um, I mean, that's quite, I, I've, I've not in my, in my career seen anything that strident from the industry. Um, what's your take on that? How genuine is that, do you think? And have the actions taken so far backed up the words? You know, what would you like to see more of from the agency industry more broadly in this space? Goodness, that's a that's a big question, isn't it? Uh, yeah, well, I mean, we're obviously we're aiming not to get sued here, so you know, <laughs> um, it's it's obviously all constructive and, and, and objective. But you know, it, it, the industry is making more noise, but of course, the action has to follow. So I think it's it's interesting to get your view. Yeah, no, I th- I think I think you're absolutely right, and I think it's fabulous that the industry is making uh, a lot of noise, and it's making a lot of noise across all sorts of. Um, areas of ESG, because obviously ESG is a very um, broad uh, framework, environmental, social and governance. So, you know, it covers everything from a lot of the, the conversations that we see around climate to diversity, equity and inclusion, to kind of commu- community impact and supply chain and transparency and all sorts of things. So um, making significant change is often really difficult because it impacts all different parts of, of a business from its you know structure through its talent through its um, supply chain and, and beyond um, so I guess from my perspective the first point I should say is I think uh, it's it's fabulous to see so many agencies out there talking up their aspirations and their plans and uh, their commitment to making some positive change and you mentioned WPP I know there's been versions of uh, similar kind of proclamations from Publicis and and Havas and many of the other holding groups. And I think also um, there's a lot of smaller agencies, especially in Australia, who are already well advanced in some of these areas. Um, But I think at least if you look at the big holding companies, it's probably still a little bit uh, too early to see whether the rubber is going to hit the road on this one. And I uh, I love your comment that, you know, uh, let's let's see whether some of these agencies keep the clients um, 
that uh, are not necessarily operating in the most appropriate way in this space. But you know, WPP have come out and 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 effectively with their um, net zero program uh, held, I guess the production and media partners that they work with to ransom a little bit on this because they're saying, hey, unless you are adhering to uh, these goals and, and getting on board with them, then you're not going to be on the roster. And I think that's great to force change, but I think um, we need to see some some choices from them to prove that they're really committed to this um, so they're not applying double standards. So, you know, WPP have BP and Exxon and Shell and, you know, their carbon footprint is far greater than the benefits that WPP's proposed program is going to deliver. So we kind of need to see that action that you've talked about and um, let's see them drop some clients or, or, you know, put some lines in the sand around what they expect with their clients as well as their suppliers. So uh, maybe maybe we'll see more of that this well, year. We'll see. I mean, you know, dip, very diplomatically put, as I would expect. I, 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 but you're absolutely right that you know, it's. I think everyone's got. It's got to start somewhere, right? And and so so they are. They should be. Um, they should rightly be applauded for for putting it in the in the you know being public about it. I think it does need to to um, to, to be backed up a little bit, and then we'll see whether or not that happens. Um, yeah, and I think hopefully you know there's some. I, I mentioned there's some. Probably much more progressive, you know, smaller agencies or, or subparts of the holding companies are already kind of getting ahead of the curve. And I think with them doing that, then that's going to hopefully motivate some clients to make some choices uh, on on the basis of you know progressiveness that forces the holding companies to see through some of these promises. Mm. Um, I think there's you know little businesses like Benedictus Media who won the Comms Declare Award, who are a B Corp, B Corp really, you know, of course, yeah, push, pushing the envelope here, and even bigger agencies like RGA and Leo Burnett who are you know championing their environmental uh, transparency as well, and you know good on them for getting out there and and stating their claims and um, putting it out there in public because it's that kind of attitude I think that's going to force faster change. Phil, Phil Benedictus was an early adopter I think in that you know he was he started out as B Corp certified and was ahead of the curve and that's been great to see and I hope you know I, yeah you're right more agencies are you now following particularly the smaller ones who can make decisions more quickly um, and I know there are agencies out there who are completely dedicated to only and they started their life as that, so they yeah. didn't have the heritage of having Shell as a client. Um, uh, so, you know, that, that's um, that's great to see. Yeah, and I think it's got to be the balancing act, isn't it? I think a lot of the very small agencies who've set up as B Corps are unfortunately going to work with probably smaller clients whose you know potential impact is is less than some of the massive multinationals who we would hope can uh, shuffle closer to doing the right thing. Well, every little helps to borrow Tesco's slogan from the UK. <laughs> <laughs> Probably not a good example. I'm not sure how a net zero Tesco actually is, but anyway. Um, okay, let's talk. Well, it's um, good to see our supermarkets here going uh, going so hard out on being uh, yeah, you know true. sustainable. So you know, Coles's uh, statement they want to be the most sustainable supermarket. I think that that's fabulous because again, that's going to put pressure on uh, all of the businesses who sell through them. Of course, so. that's a massive Coles have massive power in that, um, mm -hmm. as do Woolworths. Um, let's talk a bit about the challenges. Um, the definition of ESG is, I think, becoming broader as time goes on. And, and I, you know, it's clear that we don't have a magic wand here. None of the constituent parts of an ESG policy can be solved tomorrow. But as awareness continues to grow, are there any areas you feel are particularly challenging or should have more focus politically, um, either from the corporates or from a consumer perspective? Um, 
I think there's a lot to do in, in lots of areas, but for me personally, I guess the one that is just glaringly obvious and probably still top of mind on the back of COP26 was that the you know, Aussie government isn't doing anything fast enough to support the kind of climate change initiatives that we really need. So, uh, for, you know, without without government acting as fast as it needs to, I think there's a dependence on us as individuals to do everything we can, but also on business to support there. <clears throat> Uh, and to be really driving the the change that we want to see. So I think for me, business is helping in in all of those areas around climate and uh, carbon offsetting is a is a fundamental and relatively easy in the sense that there's lots of ways to get involved in that now and and do your bit. So I think that's a key one for businesses. I think um, interesting and at, at an industry level, I think the marketing and kind of advertising and research industry, which is a classification we've used in some of our analysis, has got a lot of work to do. I think I certainly, when I started out in advertising, saw it as a really progressive industry and, you know, one that was at the forefront of mm. cultural change. Um, it, it, that's certainly not the way it's seen by consumers now. Um, our analysis of 30 industries looking at which ones were deemed to be the most socially and environmentally um, advanced and progressive and, and considered in their um, actions shows that uh, the advertising sector is like the ninth worst. So we're, we're, we're way down there with alcohol manufacturers and property developers and real estate agents. And, and so as there's a lot of conversation going on in, you know, in the trade media now about how do we attract the right talent into the industry and how do we demonstrate diversity um, and, and appropriate representation, I, I think we've got a lot to work against if that's how the public sees us. So I think that's a big challenge for the industry. Yeah, I think that's always been a big challenge. Um, and there's no easy answer, but you were touching on broader issues there, you know, diversity of representation. I mean, that's a, that's a broader issue again. Um, and I know, I mean, People are working on it, and let's let's hope it, it continues. But I think it's fascinating. That, you know, you you basically outlined. I mean, I asked you about challenges, you know, and you sort of brought up the government as as a chat. You know, the way yeah. the government is reacting, and that's a fascinating tension, isn't it? Because what's going to make a government react differently? Well, it's going to be big business, and it's going to be consumers <laughs> who have the vote um, yeah. pulling in a different direction, right? So it's all completely. Um, interlinked but i agree with you it would be fantastic to see some more proactivity and, and some more bravery frankly from uh, from the government yeah and i you know i think it's unrealistic probably to expect that with the current government but it is what it is we can keep uh, you know wa waving the flag for action and uh, hopefully they'll take notice now i think you know you're right though it's businesses are going to be the ones that drive the biggest uh, amount of change and i think that's where there's still a lot of opportunity i think the other thing that we're seeing um, in our analysis is that there's a reluctance sometimes from brands to stand up and talk about what they're doing um, because they are concerned uh, about a backlash through people identifying, um, you know, the negative stuff that still happens because, you know, I don't want to talk about my supply chain yeah. um, advancements if people are still seeing my plastic packaging washing up on the beach in Indonesia. And I think that's a valid concern, but I think that comes from uh, kind of a, a corporate comms uh, risk management philosophical approach yes. and I think we need to see um, a little bit more marketing um, going into some of these conversations to prove that uh, you know there's a lot of good stuff that we're doing and, and bear with us as we get better because our analysis shows that whilst most businesses seem to be concerned about greenwashing as they should be it appears that 
for many, the opposite is true. So they're kind of green whispering. Nobody knows all the good stuff they're doing. And, and if they don't know, then they can't choose you over the competition. But you're also touching on truth and honesty and marketing more broadly. You know, It doesn't have to be green whispering. It shouldn't be green whispering. It also shouldn't be green washing. But, but this, this whole concept of, look, we're, we're doing our, you know, we're, we're doing this, we're doing this, we're doing this, we've got a plan, bear with us. Yeah. Um, we know we're not perfect, but we're, we're genuinely wanting to get there. We've seen it. It can be a really powerful marketing message in all sorts of ways, but it requires courage and bravery and investment and commitment. Right? Yeah, and I think, you know, and honesty and transparency and all of those things. And also going to a perfect marketing team. Yeah, and a willingness to be kicked a little bit, you know, yeah. on the way through. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. But that's, you know, that's what will make it fun and that's what will make a difference. So. Well, um, that sort of brings us full circle because I think, you know, making that, that's what makes a difference. Um, it's clear that part of the purpose, of, to me at least, part of the purpose of GLOW is rooted in raising awareness and, and making a difference, creating change. Um, so, if, you know, fast forward five years, what, what to you would represent success for GLOW, um, not just commercially, but in terms of the broader purpose that we've been talking about for the past half an hour? Yeah, um, I think there's a there's a kind of a scale, very operationally, there's a scale play for us. We want to have, you know, we're currently about 30 employees. We want to have a couple of hundred. Um, we're opening an office in the U.S. in the next uh, month or so. So we want to make sure that we've got a footprint in the U.S. as well as the U.K. and Hong Kong and Australia where we currently are and, and have scaled the business. But more importantly, I think um, kind of philosophically, we want to be globally recognized as the insights leader for courageous businesses who are wanting to do better. Mm -hmm. And we want our social responsibility score the, to be the benchmark by which they assess what consumers think of what they're doing. Um, so if we can achieve that, yeah. then we God. will have, yeah, we will have won in terms of our own business success, but we will have uh, hopefully made a difference to hundreds of businesses around the world as well. All right. So one final question, I guess. I mean, with that in mind, and I always, I deliberately don't have this planned. I sort of listen as I go through and, and, and work it out. But I think I'd love to know who your dream client, from a GLOW perspective, and particularly from a, uh, an SRA, a catalyst and an SRS perspective, who would you love to tackle that you don't, that are not, is not on your books? Who, who would be your dream client? Here are the truths. Here are the truths about what your, you know, what your consumers think of you. Um, I, th I think it, uh, it, that's a good one because I've got about ten brands running around in my head. Um, <laughs> yeah. I, I think the dream client is not, and, and I immediately went to the ones who are already doing well. But I don't think the dream client is the ones who already score well. It's the ones who are on the journey to better. So yeah. personally, my uh, my dream client would be uh, Adidas to get them involved because one, I'm obsessed with trainers and I love Adidas. But two, I think they've been quite progressive in what they're doing with a whole lot of material work and supply chain stuff. Mm. But there's also loads of things that they still need to do better. And yeah. there's some, you know, sweatshop baggage, I think, from the whole industry that they're probably tarnished by. So I think a brand like that would be a great one to have on board as part of the journey to show how they are making changes and how that's being impacted um, and, and seeing that reflected through the perspectives of consumers. So. Well, the global CEO of Adidas, I'm sure, is listening. And we'll get an email from me, whoever she or he is. <laughs> we'll see if we can make that happen. Yeah, I don't know. I'll need to look it up I'll afterwards. I'll need to look it up, yeah. yeah. But um, meanwhile, look, it's been it's been great talking to you, Matt. Um, thanks again um, for your time. Really, probably one of the deepest conversations I've, I've had on these podcasts in terms of really scratching at, at the surface of some big issues, not just for marketing, but for society as a whole. So um, I wish you all the best with Glow and with your... Uh, your upcoming launch and um, 
no doubt we'll speak again soon. Thank you very much for the airtime. I really appreciate it. It's been uh, it's been great to have a chat and outline what we're up to. Thank you.